Hey, thank you so much for tuning in. My name is Mark Rayshap. This is Another Bottle Down on Co-op Radio. Thank you so much for joining us. I've got a very special episode today. I'm with uh, in the studio with Sarah Hershaw, who is National Sales Manager of Lioko Vineyards and Winery. Um, we're going to get into uh, the particulars of talking about California wine and natural wines and a, and a whole lot of lively conversation. Um, Sarah calls Austin her home, even though she travels all around. So Sarah, thank you so much for being here. Glad to be here, Mark. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So, so give us a little bit of a preview. You know, on this show, I like to highlight what folks do in the wine industry. And sometimes um, uh, there's a lot of behind the scenes stuff. So you operate mostly behind the scenes, right? What, what is it actually <laughs> that you do? <laughs> <laughs> Why do I get that question so many times? Um, I have a <laughs> no, not to not to make fun. You know, you're not not like oh, you're behind the scenes. I never, you know, what do you do? Yeah, no, no, exactly. Um, I, actually, it's funny you asked me this uh, question because when I was in the vineyards a couple weeks ago with one of our viticulturists that we work with, she asked me the same question. So what do you do? Um, <laughs> yeah. From, from her standpoint, from somebody who grows grapes, it's like, it's very tangible, right? And it's like, she grows grapes. And then at the end of the harvest, they make wine. Yeah. What do you do? What do you exactly. <laughs> Mine's a more nebulous, uh, sort of concept. Um, it's really, it's a multifaceted. I, I handle a lot of things. Um, in a way, I'm sort of on the front lines, uh, right. on the streets, selling wine, working with sales reps, doing trainings, jumping in cars with sales reps, going to appointments uh, at restaurants and meeting right. with buyers and sommeliers, doing trainings, meeting with retailers. Um, so that's kind of what I do on the front end. And that, um, I wish I did more of that, but that's about 20% of my job. The rest of my job is what happens kind of more behind the scenes. Um, and that involves, uh, working directly with distributors and making sure that the wine makes it from point A to point B. Okay. So, so a little bit of logistics and, uh, making sure people aren't sold out of the wine. And, um, you know, I think folks out there listening might, uh, you know, you think that, oh, the wine shows up in the shop, but there's a lot of work that goes into mm-hmm. making sure that it's there, right? <laughs> yeah, a lot of hands in the pot. For yeah, sure. right, right, right. So, so, and, and then just to remind people or to, or to let people know, so, you know, we have this three-tier system where um, you have the winery produces wine, and then they have to sell to a, a distributor in the state, and in this case, Texas, and then uh, and then you have that distributor will then sell to a retailer or a restaurant. So, but you work for the actual winery, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah, and there is there is a way in which you could get the wine direct, and I think Texas recently approved that. I think in the last. I don't know, some years where you can actually be a member of a wine club and get it shipped directly to you. Right. So that's direct consumer shipping. Right. right. Yeah. But I, uh, I don't work on that segment. Right. We right, have another right. girl who does that. Okay, cool. Um, and so how, how, how extensively do you travel? I mean, are you traveling to all f- 50 states? We don't have enough wine to sell to all the states, but okay. we do um, have a, a relationship with about, I want to say about 30 total markets because uh, of those markets that we include a little bit to Japan and a little bit to England. Okay. And actually uh, just a touch to Sweden, I think right now. Ooh. <laughs> but you don't get to go there. No, no. <laughs> Unfortunately, um, I, yeah, I'm, I'm national sales, not international uh, sales. I wish I was, but yeah, um, Matt likes, Matt's uh, put in his time. I think he deserves to get to uh, go to those amazing sure, places. Sure, sure, sure. So, and, and I think also one thing that is maybe hard to understand um, that selling wine and being and uh, acting in your role, it's not. 
um, just kind of trying to push wine down people's throats. It's really trying to figure out where it makes sense and the wine will be appreciated. I mean, uh, Lioko has a, 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 and Lioko is the name of the winery, has a great story. And so you might find yourself, you know, where does it make sense to have this wine in what people's hands and what restaurants does it really make sense so they can they can then tell the story as well is that something that you think a lot about absolutely that's um, a really large part of what we do is figuring out the best place for the wine because um, I'm lucky actually and I I made this as a conscious decision I made this uh, choice to work for a winery Lioko size not just that size but also Lioko because I wanted to work for a winery that doesn't have to push the wine down people's throats Um, I I am lucky enough that I so get So you see to, that. So that does happen. That that does happen that maybe sometimes the supplier, the distributor, um, you know, kind of does some maybe strong arm tactics, like that, that typical <laughs> sale, you know, what you think of sales, sales, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I may be guilty of that from time to time, but in general, um, we don't make enough wine for me to have to do that. In fact, I'm, I'm usually on the other end of that saying we don't have enough actually to give you what you'd like. And, um, as much as I'd like to have more wine to sell everybody, um, especially Lioko, um, I, it's also nice that I don't have to worry about where every last case is going to go. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. And so you came from, uh, the the role of being a, a sales manager here locally in Texas from a, a, a pretty mid-sized distributor, right? Did, do you mm-hmm. feel that that, you know, understanding the way that the distribution side works and all that works really kind of prepared you for this whole thing and you oh, know, yeah, knowing absolutely. more of the business, right? For sure. Um, the distribution side, I mean, having knowledge of that is absolutely imperative. I've had quite a few conversations with people coming from, um, you know, a background that is maybe just restaurant focused or just retail focused. And they think moving directly to a supplier is going to be super easy. But, um, having that knowledge from the distribution side is absolutely imperative for doing what I do now, because that's the people that I have to work with every day is distributors, not necessarily, um, you know, on the front end, like the sales at the, at the restaurant and at the retailer. So, yeah, very cool. You know, it, it's it's very interesting work. I, I feel like um, in the wine industry, that 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 position of uh, being in sales, uh, you know, has like a, a negative connotation almost. And and whereas in true essence, it's the salesperson job to to make sure that the wine is is really being appreciated. And 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 it's not that first sale, but it's developing relationships. I mean, um, you know, how key is that to you to knowing? you know, your people knowing who advocates on your behalf in all of the different markets, right? Yeah, that's a really good question. It's it's really multifaceted because the first thing I thought when you started your question was um, sales is um, not just necessary, but people really want to be sold. I know even as a salesperson, I, when I go somewhere and I want to be sold either a bottle of wine or food or even real estate, whatever, I want to be sold on it, right? I mean, I want someone to tell me what's great about it. What What is so appealing about it? I need, I need someone to educate me so I know. Right, right. And, you know, without that, then you're kind of making a blind choice. So right. I think it's really important to... Um, obviously educate, but I mean, people want to be sold on things, right, you know? Right, right. Um, I think it, that's well, just well, part sometimes, of you know, for me, I relish it, you know, it's like, all right, I am pumped. I'm going to buy, you know, six, 
delicious bottles of wine and, you know, make it fun. Well, and it's their hard-earned money, and they want to know what they're getting is great, and they want to feel passionate about it, too. And I think parlaying that passion is important um, for what I do. But I wanted wanted to ask you about... you know, I feel like a lot of salespeople of, you know, folks who are in your position of national sales, they really, really want all the focus to be on restaurants. And, you know, the wine is uh, being enjoyed in restaurants. And, um, and, and, you know, that is where really where the wine speaks. Do you do you feel that way, too? Are you split uh, mostly on premise, which is the restaurant world? Or do you do you like to do retail and have a balance of that? Or how does that go? Or just as long as the wine is being enjoyed, you're good with it? Uh, you know, we usually like to say um, we are a little bit more on-premise focused at, uh, and for that, that would mean restaurant focused at Lioko. Right. Um, just because we are a special sort of winery and that we're not like uh, the typical California. Um, and we really need people who understand that. Um, also, that's why we love to work with uh, small wine shops. So okay. people that have um, access to um, well-educated salespeople in a retail store is also our focus. So we'd right. be mostly restaurant, but um, obviously our, the backbone of anything is retail in the wine world, and, and that's important for us. Right. Well, uh, very cool. Let's get into talking a little bit about the winery, Lioko. Yeah. Um, you mentioned that it was a, a mid, a, a small, smaller-ish winery in the context of California. What does that mean? Oh yeah. Um, well, I don't want to compare to another winery uh, for fear that maybe I'm ignorant as to their case production. But uh, in general, uh, right now, where our production is somewhere between twelve and fifteen thousand cases. Okay. Um, and I like to say, uh, depending on how much rosé we manage to squeeze out, because we like to <laughs> <laughs> make as much as we possibly can. Um, but obviously, uh, we are limited with um, the amount of fruit that we're able to purchase year by year, depending on the weather. Right. So. Right. Right. And and it's and it's really. A, so twelve to fifteen thousand cases, super, super small. Pretty small, yeah. So you know, uh, any given year, maybe some markets in the U.S. are getting maybe a pallet of wine, which would right. be fifty something cases. Right. Um, some are getting up to maybe maybe eight pallets of wine, which um, which isn't a whole lot. And, and you know, you have a retail background, you understand what that right. looks like. Right. You have pallets come in every single week of wines, right. uh, or did, yeah. um, not anymore, not anymore, <laughs> but yeah, so, um, we're limited in production, but we, we try to get as much out to people as we can. Wonderful. And so, um, you know, what would you say is, is, is what Lioko is all about? I mean, what, what is, are they, um, are they doing some interesting stuff? Are they pushing the bar? Um, you know, I know them as a really big, you know, vineyard designated, uh, sort of winery. At least they, they pay a lot of attention to the small individual plots that go into the, into the wine. Would I be correct in saying that, that it's a vineyard designated kind of focus project? You know, uh, that's definitely been something that the boys have been, and by the boys, I mean Matt and Kevin, Matt Licklider and Kevin O'Connor, the proprietors. That's something that they uh, have always been passionate about okay. uh, and love to do. Yeah. And we don't, obviously that's uh, that's a huge part of what Lioko is all about. But one thing that we've really been focused on in the past couple of years is, um, and, and specifically Matt and Kevin have really been trying to, um, trying to push the bar on 
the wines that we create that are of a region, not okay. just of a vineyard designate. Because does a vineyard designate tell a story? Absolutely, it tells the story of that vineyard and, and maybe the viticulturist or the winemaker, not sorry, not the winemaker, but um, whomever is out there and, and the soils and the soils. But um, another, a bigger part, I think, of what's going on in California is trying to really develop a story about particular regions. And that's one big part of what Leoko has been doing in Sonoma Coast and in Anderson Valley. So that's, that's new. Very cool. Because, you know, I talk to wine people all the time and you're one of the first people I've heard say that. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, I mean, it seems like a lot of folks are just really interested, you know, and, and, and duly so. They're super proud of their particular vineyard, and they're super proud of the unique characteristics that come from one site, that it's all about that. So I, I think it's fun to to kind of tell a story about the, the region. So, yeah. so Anderson Valley. Um, w- that's where, something yeah. we've created that's new. Um, so we do some Appalachian level wines. And, and, you know, the Matt likes to talk about the Appalachian level wines being sort of um, on par with how maybe Cote de Rhone describes a, a regional um, wine uh, uh, instead of uh, maybe their little, their tinier Appalachians there. Um, that's what they've been kind of experimenting with, uh, with our Sonoma coast Pinot Noir that we do. Okay. Uh, and we do a Anderson Valley Pinot Noir as well. And Very then cool. also a Russian river Chardonnay. So those are kind of our larger Appalachian level wines. Um, the Anderson Valley and, uh, well, I guess all three of the Appalachian level wines, um, do blend a couple different vineyards together, sometimes okay. uh, as many as four together. Yeah. So that that also is a big piece of what we do. And I think I was just out there, um, what, maybe two weeks ago at this point, last weekend actually, uh, and we went to see all of the wineries. I'm sorry, the, the, the we went vineyards. to go see the vineyards. The vineyards yeah. <laughs> sorry, we went to go see the vineyards um, that we sourced for these Appalachian level wines, and they each have very distinct. Um, characteristics that really do create a puzzle piece that and at the end creates a whole story. And so they're thinking, hey, um, we can source from this vineyard uh, and it will give us this characteristic. We get a different characteristic from another vineyard exactly. and then we create the blend and that will tell the story of the region. That, that's kind of quintessential, you know, Alexander Valley or Russian River Valley. For sure. And yeah. obviously it's going to be from our perspective, but I think, you know, um, one thing I like to talk about when I do our a little sales pitch on our Sonoma Coast Pinot Noir right. is that um, what I think Sonoma Coast is great at doing is these bright, fresh, snappy red fruits. It's not really about the funk or the mushroom. Right. Yes, those characteristics are obviously going to be there in Pinot Noir a lot of the times, but you know that's a, a by and large a big part of what Oregon does best. Right. And and what we can really do best is something entirely different. And what does that really look like when the wines are less manipulated? Which right. is another part of what Leo goes all about. And I like to mention that, um, our wines, I consider them more naked. So, um, you could say throwback yeah. wines. What, is, what does that mean? Yeah. Right. Um, you could say, I like to describe our Russian river Appalachian level Chardonnay, for instance, as, um, a throwback version of what Russian River was back in the very beginning when they started making the wines before um, they started manipulating them a little bit more in the cellar. So really yeah. all about 
the fruit right. instead of the winemaking, which means, you know, less um, emphasis on the barrel and, and just more on the fruit flavors. Yeah. So how, how are, you know, how are other wineries manipulating the wine? And, and this might be really hard for a consumer out there who's listening to be able to, you know, know what they're going to get when they're in front of that bottle of wine in a shop or, you know, on a restaurant list. Yeah, that's something that, I mean, my friends and family, when we start the discussion about wine and they, they want to know why they need to pay more than, you know, what, $4 a bottle at some retailers right, right. for the wine, like, why is it worth it? And, and I start to, the very first thing I mention is the manipulation in the cellar. Um, and not just in the cellar, but also, um, yeah, actually on the land. Yeah. So what they're doing to the actual plants. Uh, so a big part of what, what do I think they're doing? I mean, I don't even know where to start because yeah, yeah, there's yeah. so many things they could do. They put chemicals in, they put potions right. and powders in that taste like the things they want them to taste like instead of them coming from the grapes. Right. Obviously, you know, wood chips floating in, in the barrels. And then right. even on the organic side, there's a lot of manipulation, even if you're doing some biodynamic stuff. Like uh, I was at a winery recently where they're, they're aging the wine in glass and then leaving it outside for a certain amount of time. Wow. <laughs> Pretty unorthodox. But obviously, uh, there's lots of different things that could happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I want you to, you, you mentioned something that was really interesting. I want you to expand on it. So you mentioned that Sonoma Coast was all about the bright fruit and cherries. What, what? Well, in my humble opinion. And, and you, yeah, yeah. And so what is Alexander Valley about and what is Russian River Valley about? So if you're, if Lyoko is telling these stories of these, these regions, um, how, do, how is that different from, um, you know, Sonoma Coast? And, and do you see that in other wines as well, just being out in the markets? Uh, absolutely. I see it in other wines. We're obviously not the only people, uh, doing what we do in California, um, or the only winery making wines from those places. But sure. I think that, um, uh, for Russian river, for instance, I think, uh, the sort of apple characteristic is, is really pervasive in right. the wines and really rich, unctuous fruit. That's, I, I think, a telltale richness, is right? The, richness so if you had in two of your wines and one was rich, you know, two of the Pinot Noirs and, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, one was obviously more rich than, then that just brings you into the Russian river Valley. Uh, especially, well, I'm speaking to the Chardonnay specifically. Ah, okay. Uh, okay. Yeah, I mean, well, we'll get into grapes and all that kind of stuff. That what Lioko is doing. So, so this is more in the Russian and the Chardonnay uh, category. Yeah, I mean, and, and then maybe for um, a Sonoma Coast, like yeah, that snappy red fruit, maybe high toned red fruit like cranberries and pomegranate things right. like that. Yeah. And then Anderson Valley. Right. Um, Anderson Valley is actually kind of a new thing for me personally. I mean, I haven't really been a huge Anderson Valley connoisseur until I started working at Lioko to be perfectly honest. Right. Um, I come from a more old world background. Um, but for Anderson Valley, I think power is a big part of Anderson Valley. So yeah. a lot of people um, equate that with uh, high alcohols and a lot of extraction, but um, intensity in the wines. And I think a big part of that comes from uh, a lot of the diurnal shift in the weather. So lots of um, bright red fruit in deep in the wine, but also um, really right. low temperatures on any given day. Matt likes to say on any given day, you can drive from San Francisco into Anderson Valley and experience up to 30 degree temperature drops. It's incredible how such a small place you can see so much difference. Um, 
for folks who are listening out there who don't know, diurnal shift is the is the change between daytime uh, temperatures and nighttime temperatures. Thank so you. I, I, it's my job to kind of moderate and, and break down a little bit. Uh, so it's not all wine geeks out there uh, listening. Oh my God, in. <laughs> I'm the last one. Well, uh, if you're just joining us, uh, my name is Mark Rayshop. This is another Bottle Down on Co-op Radio. We're talking with Sarah Hershoff from Lioko. Um, we're going to take a short break and get back in with it. Uh, I want to talk about, address the history of the winery and um, where you're going and all the exciting things. So stick with us. All right, we're back. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in. We're here with Sarah Hershaw, who is national sales manager of Lioko, and they are a winery in California doing very interesting things with um, really showcasing the character of the, the regions and uh, trying trying really hard to do natural wines. And uh, we talked with Sarah about her role as a um, as a sales manager and, and, and what that is all about. And uh, if you've missed any part of this or any other episode, uh, go to the co-op webpage, um, koop.org slash another bottle down, and you'll see a link to uh, podcast all of the previous shows. There's an archive there. So um, I hope that you enjoy it, and I hope that you enjoy learning a little bit about wine and also how wine uh, permeates and, and, and uh, shows agriculture and history and really the culture of a place and, and personality of people. So um, I just, I, I, you know, wine to me is so much more. You're laughing, Sarah. The, the I'm just <laughs> smiling because I, I, I like to hear you wax poetic about yeah. wine. <laughs> but it's so, it's so true. I mean, in studying wine, and I've, and I've studied wine pretty intensely for, um, you know, for f- 12 to 15 years. And, and uh, you know, it's so much more than just what's in the glass. It's history and, um, you know, maps and all kinds of fun stuff. So, okay, so tell us a little bit about the history of Lioko. Give, give us a background and, uh, and um, let's start there. Yeah. That's actually a perfect segue because um, that's exactly how Lioko came to be uh, was uh, so Matt Licklider, he's uh, one of the proprietors and mm-hmm. Kevin O'Connor, he is um, another one of the proprietors. Um, they met about 15 years ago and I guess maybe a little bit more at this point. Um, so they met uh, because Matt was working for a little French import company called North Berkeley Imports and Kevin O'Connor was the buyer and sommelier for Spago and Beverly Hills. And not a, uh, not a lightweight in the wine category. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, (laughs) he had, uh, quite the reputation in the wine world and Matt was always trying to sell him more wine and they started a friendship and a conversation about wine. They like to say a six year long conversation about (laughs) wine. Um, and it's a big part of it started about, you know, uh, the fact that they both were very passionate old world wine drinkers. So, you know, wines from France, Spain, Germany, Italy, and um, why they weren't drinking wines of California. And at the time, uh, there weren't really a lot of people out there making wines of place. And part of the reason why they fell in love with wine, I'm sure, and why we all do, is when you drink wines from, say, Spain or California, or sorry, Spain, Italy, Germany, hopefully now California, um, you really want to get a feeling of the place and the people and the food you know, everything from that region and the wine really sort of helps express a big part of that. And that's one of the things that really excites me about drinking old world wines is because of just that. So in California, it was a little bit muddy, right? It wasn't really about, um, the region or the people or the food, you know, because that was a little bit, 
you know, we're more of a global place. So right, right. they wanted to, um, they kind of wanted to start a project where they could showcase what California could actually do and make wines of place in California to sort of mimic what everybody had been doing in the old world for a yeah. really long time. Yeah. So that's what they set out to do. And uh, yeah, they did start working with um, just a few vineyard designates at the time. So that was their first, and like you mentioned in the beginning, that was kind of their first passion was really um, describing a particular vineyard. Right. And then over the years, when they started noticing similarities between vineyards in some areas, that's when they started branching out into more the Appalachian level wines. Right. So yeah, um, they work with a lot of, obviously, Chardonnay and Pinot Noir, quintessential California grapes. Okay. Uh, and now um, they've branched out to a few other varietals being Carignan is a really large one that they've um, experimented with, and uh, a little bit of Sauvignon Blanc, actually, some Gruner Veltliner, and some Syrah. Oh, very cool. We're going to talk about Carignan in just a second, uh, because it's it's really a fun grape, and it's one of the things that I I really like about, um, I really like that wine of Lyoko's. Um, but I want to, I want to, uh, still kind of talk about this partnership because I think it's, you know, um, the two guys who started Lyoko coming from, you know, wine sales and import and restaurant, um, you know, so they didn't come at it from being a winemaker per se. They didn't come at it from being a, um, do you think that that gives them a different perspective? Uh, is it better? Is it worse? Instead of, you know, going to UC Davis and learning winemaking (laughs) and then, you know, um, and then working for a large winery and then, you know, starting your own. For sure. I think, I think that, um, I think that's been a really great partnership for just those reasons you describe, uh, coming from the restaurant world, understanding what, what works best in restaurants and what people like in restaurants and what restaurants need and would be exciting. And we always talk about, um, having wines that are great with foods. And, um, so that's Kevin's real perspective. And then Matt coming from the sales side of things and also an avid wine drinker himself, um, and his old world, uh, wine knowledge, and I think them not being winemakers have has actually served them um, to a degree in that they haven't. <laughs> I'm afraid I'm going to get in trouble here. No, no, no. Well, okay. You know, I think sometimes they they are really passion and excitement driven um, with the wines. So maybe they'll want to do something that uh, maybe a more cautious seasoned winemaker would say, that's crazy. (laughs) Don't do that. And they'll be like, well, that's what we want to do. Right. right. That's what we want to do. So let's do it. And I think that's really helped them break through some barriers at times maybe with what they wanted to do. Maybe maybe it hasn't always worked out, but I think for what has worked out, it's been really successful. And uh, maybe John Raytek, our winemaker, would think otherwise, but... That's what, that's my answer right now. So they, so, so they have a, a winemaker and then they kind of gear, uh, guide the vision almost or the, the direction. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they probably have that. Um, I, I would love to probably be in some of these meetings where the winemaker is no. like, no, you can't do that. And they're like, uh, we can. No, <laughs> the, those are it. not fun meetings to be. And I try to avoid those meetings at all, yeah. at all costs. <laughs> do, do, when you're hanging out with them, do they, do they still drink French, Italian, 
wine, all uh, old, yeah. old world wines. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Actually, we just had a, a a little trip with some other salespeople we took to California, and uh, I think the first evening when we all were drinking wines, we didn't have one single Lioka wine on the table. Right. And uh, I mean that's fun, but also we were at we were at a Thai restaurant and right, right. we wanted to drink wines that really went with the food. And right. although we have some wines that would be great, um, you know, Riesling is kind of a classic pairing for spicy food. Sure. So we had a lot of uh, fun, like Austrian Rieslings on the table. Yeah, um, very cool. So um, I want to get back into so so you were talking about some of the grapes that you do. Mm-hmm. Um, tell us a little bit about the Carignan because I think yeah. it's. It's one of the most widely planted grapes all over uh, Europe, and it, it was very widely planted in California, unbeknownst to most of the wine-consuming uh, community out, out in today's day and age. Um, why did they decide to do Carignan, and and what were their challenges, and, and what is it? You know, describe the wine a little bit. Um, I. So one thing that, like we've discussed before, the vineyard designates have been really important um, to the boys, and and that's been the most exciting, fun thing for them to do. So um, one thing they they do is they'll just get in their cars and and literally just drive around looking for interesting, cool spots. And I think um, they get little heads up from, you know, people here and there about uh, where the next cool place is or somebody has something cool over here. And um, obviously you mentioned that Carignan is a very widely planted grape in the old world. And uh, so I think them coming from that direction really guided them there. And then they also... um, you know, as luck would have it, found in a couple amazing spots in California that they source from, being um, one being a, a spot uh, just north of Cloverdale in Mendocino County uh, with some vines that are 70 plus years old. So wow. that's pretty, that's pretty Incredible. amazing. Yeah, yeah, because a lot of people ripped up uh, the Carignan in California right. when people started getting the Pinot or Cab craze. Yeah. Um, well, it was also one of the main grapes that went into you know, the jug wine, the uh, Gallo Red Burgundy. Um, mm-hmm. And and it was just, Carignan has the ability, if you overcrop it, to be very bland, um, but it also has the ability to overcrop. And so that's why those old vines are so important that as the vines get up into those 40, 50, 60, 70 years old, they start producing less fruit and higher quality, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's another reason why Carignan was so popular in the old world is because, um, you know, when you had a bad vintage of your more desirable varietal, um, you could flush it out with some really juicy Carignan. And they they put out so much fruit. Even now, um, when I go up there and look at the... So they're old bush vines. They look like little bushes. They're not on a trellis. um, And they're all like head trained. They still put out a bunch of fruit for a vine that old. And the clusters are humongous. They look like, (laughs) you know, those ancient Greek paintings with like somebody's eating the grapes. The goddess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, I think that after 70 years and the yields have dropped so low, they become more and more interesting. And I think you can even tell um, in the Lyoko lineup because we had a wine called Indica. Uh, for a very long time that was a blend of many different grapes and had an element of Carignan in it, mostly Carignan, but always blended. Oh, so that wine's not around anymore. This, uh, the 2014 vintage was its last vintage. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So are they then, they're keeping the Carignan a separate and, and doing their own wine from Oh, we're still doing, yeah, we're still doing tons of Carignan. So 
as indica went on, it kind of became less and less of a blended red California wine and became 100% Carignan in 2012. And that was just a testament, I think, to them seeing how the Carignan had really progressed year by year and become better and better in quality. So they stopped blending it in with, I think they had some Grenache and some other varietals in there. Right. Wow. Um, what's, what's your favorite wine that, uh, that, that they put out? That Lioko produces. And the, yeah. That's a tough one. And so, <laughs> yeah, so Indica has gone the way of the Dodo and now we have Sativa, which is the new, um, Carignan focus for us. Okay. Um, it's just, uh, it's a single varietal Carignan wine and it's, it's made a little bit more thoughtfully, I think. Maybe okay. maybe they put a little bit more into it. Then the, the Indica has always been the sort of a our porch pounder option. Um, yeah. Obviously, a more serious version of that. Sure. But I mean, for all intents and purposes, been a really light, bright, easy drinking wine. Sativa has got a little bit more going on. It's a hundred percent whole cluster. They weight the cap during fermentation, so it's right. got a few extra layers um, in there. Pretty interesting. I think they really wanted to focus on what made Carignan great, rather than right. just a wine great. Well, that's that's wonderful. I'm really rooting them on. Oh, as thanks. Far as that. What what about oh, the yeah, whites? Oh, my favorite What's, wine. Uh, let's or, see. Was that not your favorite wine? Well, that's some, that's one of the wines that I really enjoy drinking a lot. But I have to say, <laughs> when I, I I have like three because it depends okay. on the day of the week. It sure, is sure. right. If it's say Monday night and I'm just having a glass of wine with dinner and I'm having like a salad. Obviously, the rosé the rosé of Carignan is something it's that wonderful. I drink a lot yeah. of. Yeah. Um, and then, like my Friday night wine, more would, serious, more intellectual. More, yeah, like I'm making something special, <laughs> and I want something a little more, um, uh, more special too. I guess I, one of the Appalachian level wines is actually one of my favorite things to drink. I, I love those. I think they're friendly. They really go along with so many foods. So right, very cool. Well, Sarah, we have uh, we're coming to the end of our our little half hour here, and and uh, we, we've got I know we've got to run. I'm going to post a, a link to their website. What the, it's liocowine.com. Is yes. that right? Mm-hmm. Okay, I'll post that on the co op. L i o c o. L i o c o dot com, mm-hmm. um, and uh, you know there there's uh, I'll post it on the blog, and you can go to there for more information. Um, yeah, I, I really hope that they continue on their track of, of doing what they're doing and, and making wonderful wines and, Me too. and, uh, and pushing the bar and good luck to you in all of your travels and, uh, and maybe, um, we'll have you in soon sometime. <laughs> thank you so much. It's been great. <laughs> all right. Thank you. You've been listening to uh, co-op radio, K O O P Hornsby Austin 91.7 FM and KOOP.org. Uh, we're going to take another short break and we will be right back.